This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. First of all, uh, a woman who for many years did every form of broadcasting, TV, radio, on air, off air. She then became the head of Mohawk's broadcasting journalism school and has just taken way, way, way to early retirement, uh, Sue Prestige. Well, that is so kind of you. The early part, I mean, I am loving this. Good. Oh, everybody has said it's going to take you a while to get adjusted. I said, okay, it took me three days. Is that that all I'm supposed to? Anyway, it was great. It's been great. It's going to be great. Excellent. Yes. Next to her, a uh, familiar voice from anyone who listens to 900 CHML or has over the years or have watched CHCH or seen billboards or whatever else, Jamie West. Uh, the, also the executive producer of this show. So hey, thrilled to have you in. Thanks for Finally. letting thanks for letting me in the building. And <laughs> what the heck am I doing here with Sue Prestige? Are you kidding oh, me? Why, why? I had no idea that you were going to be here, Sue. And I am just over the moon that I'm sitting on a panel with somebody that I watched and watched and watched and said, I want to be just like her. Okay, so I'm thrilled. I'm blushing, and I will give you your ten dollars when we go <laughs> uh, to the studio. Right. Okay. Good and enough. I will say that part of the reason Sue is here, and I've told this before, is because the very first and one of the few awards I ever won, the judge was Sue Prestige. So she has a lifetime pass to this show. Absolutely. I, if I could sucker her into giving me an award so. for that, I can convince her to come on here. Good stuff. Uh, we got a lot of stuff, uh, some serious, some more serious, some less serious uh, today that I want to get to, and you are the perfect two people to do this. Uh, starting with this one today, which I, I would love to figure this, the answer out to this, and I don't know if there is one. But I'm going to throw it to you guys. The federal government does not seem capable of telling us. They talk about the middle class a lot. They describe the middle class, doing everything for the middle class. Here's their definition, according to Transport Minister Mark Garneau this week, of what the middle class is. This is his quote. The government of Canada defines the middle class using a broad set of characteristics that include values, lifestyle, and income. Middle class values are values that are common to most Canadians from all backgrounds who believe in working hard to get ahead and hope for a better future for their children. Middle class families also aspire to a lifestyle that typically includes adequate housing and health care, educational opportunities for their children, a secure environment, job security, and adequate income for modest spending on leisure pursuits, among other characteristics. Spoken like a true space cadet. What the uh, heck is the, the middle pun. class? Well, it's not that. I mean, it, that could apply to any group of people. Is co- Low by that, income, high income, middle income people. I mean, it, it's vague. It's very It's intentionally, vague. I think, vague. But it, it, it seems to me that if you are going to build your entire campaign and now your government around, quote, quote, working for the middle class, you should be able to dis- define in some way what the middle class is. Yeah, I think that... Uh, that Is that would, too much to ask for no, a government? It, no, it isn't, but it's an, it's it's impossible for them because the, the middle class is probably 80% of our population, right? But but again, what's the definition of it? The, the people that make $50,000 a year and the people that make $100,000 a year are, are middle class. I, I would say, I, I don't... Everybody centers on income disparity, but... You know, the guy, the people that are making $100,000 a year and the people that are making $50,000 a year, they're not that different. They're not. I know the people that are making 50 will say, well, they're $50,000 richer <laughs> than I am, but they're paying more tax. They're in the same struggle. They're in the, you know, if we go by Garno's definition, 
they're doing the same things for their families. So people they qualify who believe, as middle class. Yeah, people who believe in working hard to get ahead and hope for a better future for their children. By that, see, this, this doesn't people just... people are entrepreneurs. That's, yeah. But this doesn't just sort of baffle me. It almost ticks me off a little bit because this is someone who makes less than poverty wages, who wants to, who was working hard to get ahead and hopes for a better future for their children. And this is someone who's making $5 billion a year, presumably. What This this is a cop-out answer of all cop-out answers. I think your definition of cop-out is correct. If he wanted to make a definition of middle class, then you do surveys. Last time I checked, you know, you, because as I say, this is so vague. This could have been a Wikipedia definition. Do you know what I mean? Well, absolutely. But and we stopped doing the census, did we not? Did we not? It was the last time around or before that? Didn't the government of the day? I can't remember. It was Harper's government. Must have been Harper's. It was government, Harper's government. Said, eh. We'll, we'll shorten the form and you don't really have to do it. Remember in the old That's days, right. you, you did it or somebody came to your door and put That's right. bracelets the questions. on you? Like it was tough. Not anymore. So they're not really collecting any of the kind of data that you're talking oh, about but that they might are, lead though. to it. But they are. We just last week had a, a release of financial from the latest long-form census. But that was the that was the first one since the, the Harper administration. That's right? right. Like he killed it. And then Trudeau bought it back. But you have now, in the last week, you have actual dollar figures across the census. So you could define, as Sue says, if... See, Jamie, your point, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Your point about this is more than just financial. This is, is absolutely correct. The problem is... In every case that the government has talked about middle class, it's always been with taxation. So it's always been tied to money. So yes, it's about other things, quality of life and everything, but middle class for the definition of the government is a financial earning revenue description, definition. And so with this census now, Sue, they could have gone and said the middle class is, there it is. And they could, and you know, you were talking about the culture, and that's right. Somebody earning fifty thousand, someone earning a hundred thousand, and they may have the same belief structure. But if someone's making, you know, the lower end of let's say what they define middle class to be, they're having to pay for daycare mm-hmm. and a lot more out of their pocket. You know, single mothers, um, you, they're part of middle class. You know, and so I think you're right. You know, it's. It's so vague that it doesn't describe anyone or it could define anyone in any country. So why are they afraid, though, to give a range of number? What if they said middle class by... That would expose them as a as government. Take away politics, but just as government in general, no matter what your political stripes are. By doing that, it would shed light on and make transparent the amount of tax money that gets wasted by governments what do of you every mean? administration. Well, well, explain that. Well, if, if you start to try and and shed light on the definition of what, what middle class is according to income, then you have to talk about taxes and you got to talk about tax brackets and then you start figuring out how much a $50,000 a year earner sends back to the government in taxes and the $100,000 earner sends back to government in taxes. And, and, and that leads into that whole discussion about, uh, about where does that money go? How is that used? Does that come back for, for more social welfare? Does that come back to me and help my kids? Does it help my roads? Does it help my health care? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the government, I believe, 
every time they get in there, they don't want you to fully have an idea of how that all jibes because it because then the politics comes back in. Because if you understand that, then they get screwed up politically. And you got to remember the reason they're there is to be there and get reelected. And you, I totally. Does that make any sense at all? For sure, it absolutely does. Because you're right. Confusing myself. No. (laughs) Well, good. We're understanding you, Jamie. Um, No, I think it's interesting that when they make an announcement, nine times out of ten they'll make an announcement. It'll have something to do with taxes, and they'll say, and the middle class, which has felt pressure when it comes to providing education for their children, will benefit from these new policies, right? Yeah, like taking, for example, the Morneau thing that everybody's talking about, the changes to private corporations, which are not... When people hear corporation, they think of Coca-Cola and Gillette. Walmart, yeah. We're we're talking about... You know, we're talking about doctors. We're talking about people like me who are small business operators. Um, when, when they start talking about that sort of uh, stuff and, and taking uh, money away from us, where was I going with all that? Where, it, it, becomes a real, it becomes a real mess. And there is no definition, back to your point, because we're all in the same we're all in the same boat. We're just in different tax brackets. Well, and if they define middle class, if he actually came out and made a definition for middle class, that by necessity then, by definition, says if you're not in that, this government is not for you, this government is against you, therefore vote against this government because they're not working for you, they're working for the other people. Well, and I guess what, sorry, what I was going to say earlier was I'm tired of this idea of, and other pundits have chimed in on this, this idea that the only people who are hardworking Canadians are the people in the undefined middle class. But the guys that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars don't work hard. Like, well, th- that was that's, just given to them, Jamie. That's, that's, that's silver spoon. Ex- exactly. That's the, you know, that that's how the government views it. And I'm starting to worry that Justin Trudeau is a communist. Like, people have said his father was a communist. <laughs> That he really was, that that was really his his bent, was a, a, a communist bent. And I'm starting to worry about Justin. There's a lot of things I love about Justin Trudeau. But money stuff and tax stuff certainly is not one of them. Well, I was not oh, going to go down this road today, but I thought Graham Mackay from The Spectator had the perfect cartoon today in the paper. And I really, I do believe this. We're not going to talk about this at length, but it's a, pic, it's a cartoon of Trudeau and Morneau sitting on top of their... Uh, their family, you know, trust funds. Yeah. And I'm firmly of the belief that before any kind of taxation changes that would require wealthier Canadians to pay more taxes, those two guys should have to declare what they've got stashed away and whether they're going to pay it on theirs or whether they're tucking it into offshore accounts. And then if they come transparent and say, hey, here's what we're paying, Mm-hmm. Then we can talk about it. But if you're not going to, but anyway, back to this for one second, Sue, because just when I hear middle class, to me, the problem we've got now with governments, and it's not just Trudeau, we hear this, we hear middle class, it's the fallback mantra for everybody now. When you say something over and over and then refuse to make any kind of definition, it becomes altogether meaningless. And so now any politician, even a well-meaning politician who truly believes he's fighting for the middle class, what does that mean anymore? No, he can't define it. He but just nobody can. can. No, I totally agree. What is middle class? And But what he presented was 
uh, pop. It, it doesn't make any sense. So it's why bother even doing words. it then? Why not say, we have our definition. They have to stand up and say something. That they're politicians. No, they don't. When, yes, when, they when, do. when Prime Minister Trudeau was asked about whether he was going to speak to that committee, he got up and 20 times in a row said, I will participate. He didn't say anything. He could have done the same thing here. We have our definition of middle class. And, and like it, to come out with this is almost to me insulting. It's more insulting because you're throwing a smoke screen up that you think people are going to be dumb enough. They go, oh, hardworking. Okay. Was this in <laughs> response to... A question, or was this a statement made as part of a um, presentation or a speech somewhere? It was in uh, it, the story. Says, and the story here is from, um, I believe, from the Toronto Star. Uh, earlier this week, Transport Minister Mark Garneau rose in the House of Commons to reveal the Liberal government's criteria for the middle class club, is how it's described, and. He goes on later to say, well, the income, and, and this, is, this is actually, you know what, I, I got to give Mark Garneau a little bit of credit with what he said later, because he goes, this can depend on where you live, what the cost of living is, all kinds of things. That's true, but that then makes the middle class even mushier, mm-hmm. because you could make $75,000 in Toronto and be making less this than is, if you made 30000 somewhere in the suburbs. But or, we could sit here for like two, three hours, and I bet we couldn't come up with a definition no, of what middle class is. But the, we're not building our brand on that. Or and, and charging you just, taxes. And you just, <laughs> you just hit the nail on the head. Garneau stands up and, and does his thing because, because somebody behind closed doors has said, today's the day we're going to up and do this thing because we have to start throwing messaging out in the house every day because we're getting so much blowback on this more no trudeau thing we've got to start you know rolling out a pr campaign and that's and i think that that's that's part of it part There's, of it is to try and define what what the middle class is they they were not counting on people standing up on this on this Morno tax reform thing and saying this is totally unacceptable we're not going to put up with it the pitchforks and burning torches crowd are out in full force do you know why and they all wear stethoscopes doesn't this doesn't this bring back <laughs> and rightfully so ideas about what the tie cats did and you, you know scott you know scott and i have had this conversation before the worst thing about who they were going to bring on and the response from the media and from the public was overwhelming. But what I found so insulting was it was so disrespectful. Did they think we were going to buy that? And I think the same thing's happening with this trudeau more and, and And I think the answer is, yeah, I think they did think we were we were going to buy it. I mean, that's why they introduced it in July, uh, the, you know, when the House wasn't sitting, uh, when news kind of sleeps a bit in, in, in July and Which August. Which is typical of and, politics. And they put a public consultation, a limit of, of October uh, on the thing. This isn't going to fly. This is not going to fly. It doesn't matter how how many times Pretty Boy Trudeau stands up and says, I'm, I'm sticking to this. It's not going to happen because the big players, the bigger corporate players who really have all the political currency are going to be making little phone calls and going, you know, Justin, we really here at uh, Rogers don't think this is a good idea. Have a nice day. And click well, and that's it. We've like, got to go to a break. But there's, wherever, one, other, there's one other thing about Bell. this that I found really fascinating. Chorus. Who <laughs> would be the person, if you were going to be the federal government who would be the person because this is this is a core piece of their entire platform as i say it started back when the election was happening we're the middle class who should be the people or the person 
who would be asked this question and define this person. To me, it should either be Justin Trudeau or it should be Morneau because those are the two guys who really are building this thing around the middle class. How is Mark Garneau, the transport minister, the guy left having to stand up and explain this thing in the House of Commons? What's he got to do with anything? All the other ministers were unavailable yeah, of and Trudeau was at the well, UN. And he's, he's a glib guy. He was an astronaut. So I he's know. Used to he's a people, hero. And people he's a hero. like him. Yes, yes yeah. but my, that's exactly, right? but again, it's so cynical that you put a guy up there who you think has some cachet and some capital yeah. that he can throw out there and you don't have the two guys who really should be taking the bullets on this one the l- not literal the figurative bullets on this one just want to make sure we're not uh, getting anyone upset um they are nowhere to be seen on this you put a guy up there who who he's not the guy that i want to be hearing from the definition of what your entire government is based upon but it's to me it was it was just a giant cop out and a giant sucky way to try and again so it's a great example with the tie cats pull one over the public and and make them and believe that the public is so dumb they'll go and most of the time oh. the public is dumb yeah but not this not, dumb no not and this dumb it's disrespectful that's the thing it gets me no respect you're listening to the scott radley show weeknights from seven to nine on am 900 chml uh, let us stick uh, momentarily, uh, for a few minutes anyway, with uh, the federal government, specifically with the prime minister. And love the prime minister, not love the prime minister. He was front and center this week at the United Nations doing something that made a lot of people a little squeamish. And that is taking Canada's dirty laundry and airing it in front of the world as far as our indigenous population. Mm. And it's not, I don't think, a question of whether or not we should be doing more to help the indigenous people. It's what's the value in going to the leaders of the entire world and telling them, hey, we suck. I think it was very shrewd on his part. Why? Because Canada is looking for a council seat at the UN, something we lost and we need it back. We really do. And I think that, especially following another world leader um, who had just given you know his speech the day before, to get up there and admit what our weaknesses are and what we're working on. He did say what had to be worked on, but I think it was very shrewd because I think that kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That kind of... Self-flagellation? S- no. <laughs> no. That it was it was very smart on his part to say we are, you know, we, we are a humble people. We are humble people. We know that we have problems. And he, I think he also pointed out that other countries should look at themselves as well and see, you know, what problems they're facing with Indigenous people. Uh, I just thought it was really smart. What do you think, Jamie? I think the world is polarized. I think the UN is uh, feckless. I think that um, I'm always in favor of Canada raising its voice on the global scale. And as Sue said, you know, there's nothing wrong with us vying for a better position within the UN. But I'm looking at it from an overview kind of perspective, and I I don't see that the UN is particularly useful um, in the world we live in. We're we're living in too polarized um, a world these days. And I know that the idea of the UN is to bring nations together and and um, and and help work out problems uh, in different parts of the world together. But I just think we're we're way too polarized. I just don't think there's an appetite for that truthfully. And then and then you throw in guys like Trump and and the Rocket Man, and um, 
you know, I just, I, I still, I don't see what the benefit of of the UN is to anybody at this point. But what, what's the alternative? Other, what is the alternative? That there would um, be no organization that would discuss these issues? Yeah, I th- actually, I think that probably is the the only alternative aside from um, strong leaders who, because they can m- more nowadays and through technology, communicate one-to-one directly to, you know, in smaller groups. Like, we don't have to come together in, in a big room, a marble-tiled room in New York anymore. We can... You know, the, the leaders that are involved in one particular thing can get on a video conference, can can communicate instantly uh, nowadays uh, on things. And um, I, I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of nations who don't identify with the issues of other nations and don't care to because they've got problems of their own to solve See, domestically. This, Jamie, that is that is you maybe just, I don't understand. No, you just touched on the reason why I was not high on what was done by Canada because I'm sitting there thinking, all right, I'm looking over that and I didn't watch the whole thing, but I'm watching over who's sitting in that room and Iran and Korea and blah, blah, on and on and on. And I'm thinking they couldn't give one rat's patootie about what Canada is doing with our indigenous population for, so you just spend 30 minutes on this. And and, and if I may, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I, I do this rudely. It's, it comes with the executive producer title. <laughs> you know, that goes, it's a power trip. Go ahead. Um, so... I'm going to take it a step further, and and I'm going to be probably a little politically incorrect. I don't think that most Canadians care about what he was discussing yesterday at the UN. And whether we should or we shouldn't care about it is a separate discussion. But I'm actually getting tired of him leading with the Indigenous peoples thing. I really am. I'm tired of him leading with that. I'm not saying that isn't an important issue for us to be discussing within our country. But I'm tired of him leading with it. And I actually resented him for leading with it at the United Nations. I I thought we're not at a tragically hip concert, man. Yeah, but if we have a platform like the United Nations, this is this is my issue. If we have a platform and the other people don't care about this at all. And there, there is no way if you hook up the president or prime minister of Iran to a lie detector machine that he goes... Oh yes, the indigenous problems in Canada are high on my concern list. He could so use the. Uh, my thought was, let's use the platform for something that affects the world. We can deal with our internal problems at you. home. It's like your family. It, you don't take so if you have an argument with your husband, you don't take that to work and say, you know what, my husband did at home today. I well, did that. <laughs> You deal with the stuff that you have problems at work, at work, and then you come home and solve your problems in your home. And I just thought this was, for a number of reasons, I was not impressed with the idea that this was our moment and this is what we did with it. Okay, I'm willing to say that uh, perhaps his whole reason for doing it, as I said, the council seat uh, in the UN, but I'm also wondering, you're right, maybe all these leaders from other countries are going, I don't give up about what's going on in Canada and how they're dealing with the Indigenous situation. But maybe it's more about the perceived um, character of the leaders that are in that room. Maybe it has nothing to do with listening about what the subject is, unless it was a World War situation. But to say, you know what? His attitude towards certain things. Let's talk about with him about trade. Let's talk with him about other issues. Like, you know, so maybe it wasn't the subject matter that these other people were not you know, glomming onto right away. Maybe they're studying the character of Trudeau and thinking, 
all right, you know, he's somebody I could work with on a committee, Could you, though? Because if you're another leader, my other point on this would be, okay, I just heard him talk about this. So what exactly, then, have you done to improve the situation with your Indigenous people? And the answer is a big, fat nothing. Well, I was going to say, after making a speech like that at the UN, he's got to know that his feet are going to be held to the fire when he comes back, because it was covered around the world. So if you're saying... Like, you don't make that kind of statement and then come back to home and say, oh, by the way, we don't, we can't do that. But if you're talking trade, like... Another world leader sits there and listens to him talk about trade or security or something. Yeah. And you can look and say, yes, you know what? He has shown action that would say, I could work with him on security. I could work with him on trade. I could work with him on immigration. For what reason would you look at this government right now and say, yeah, I think that what they're doing, he's preaching to us, he's lecturing us, and they've done nothing about this. That to me made this thing very hollow. I don't know. I just think that, you know, for a lot of people... Listening to him, the ones that are in the, you know, that are representing in the UN, um, you know, I use trade as an example, but all those trade deals, et cetera, are all made in committees somewhere else. You're never going to hear that as part of a speech. You know, even uh, uh, Merkel today, would you, was it Merkel who was addressing the UN? No, it was... uh, the English. As Elizabeth May, Elizabeth who May. spoke to the empty room. Yeah, kind of, which was sad. <laughs> which but, says something about the UN, too. You know, when I heard about her speech, I thought there's another big one. Nobody could point, make a point. Like, she's got more to say on issues right now than anybody else. And there was nobody there. And they, as you say, they weren't listening. The UN is, uh, uh, if you know, I've watched a couple of the speeches. It just, it just occurs to me, and maybe it's just my age, and I'm feeling cranky. I don't know. I just feel like the world has kind of gone a little nuts. Of course it has. You know, of course it has. There, there's no desire for cohesiveness and holding hands and singing kumbaya. There, there, the world is fractured. So if we know that, let me go back to my original point. If we know that, if yeah. we know you're not going to have universality and everyone doing the kumbaya thing, do we want our leader, our spokesman, the person who is the face of Canada going in front of the world as it is and spending the 30 minutes that he gets once a year or once every two years telling the world how crappy we are. See, that to me is, it, it just struck me. This is not, a, if he was able I'm, to speak there you. once a month, I'm, it's different. He gets this once every year Spend or two. five minutes on the indigenous thing. And and make sure that when you're when when you do that, you, we take responsibility as a nation for the historical uh, screw ups that are large that have damaged people's lives for generations, and we acknowledge that, and we 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 put that right up front. You can do that in a five minute speech, but then don't forget to also include that the indigenous people themselves are fighting amongst themselves and can't seem to find a cohesive way to get their own And don't forget to mention that a big part of the reason (laughs) for the problem was under your dad's leadership, but that somehow got missed too, just saying. Well, the other other thing is that he couldn't do that. You know that, Jamie. He couldn't come up. But I was going to ask you, if you two say that what he was doing there was wrong, that the subject matter was wrong, what would you propose that these Jamie. speak of? I'm with Jamie. I don't have an I don't have an issue with it being brought up as something we're dealing with. But 25 out of his 30 minutes. But what were would he self- spent the other 25 minutes talking? About? Last time he was there, he spoke about immigration and how we should be open. Now I don't necessarily agree with everything he says about immigration, but it was something about that the rest of the world was dealing with at that time. It was a world issue: immigration, taking people in, people. 
people who are displaced. That then becomes something that is relevant and okay. that doesn't make Canada look stupid. Check that one off, but he did that last time. He can't do it this time. What about taking aid to parts of the world <clears throat> that are in extreme suffering? Like, let's let's talk about, let's continue to talk about Africa. Let's talk about... Um, you know, maternal deaths in, in Africa in, during childbearing and being able to uh, get the AIDS crisis in Africa under control uh, and being able to help mothers not die in childbirth with 10 cent doses of medication. That's what, you know, that's what Canada has always been recognized for being. Uh, on the global stage, whether that was uh, in times of war, we you know getting in there and fighting and fighting and fighting. Our soldiers were were storied, were legendary, were revered. Um, our ability to go in and help in humanitarian ways has been uh, revered. Even our reporting on humanitarian, you know, it was Brian Stewart. I think That's you right. were probably with the CBC when the Brian Stewart did, that, did yeah. the the thing on Ethiopia and and uncorked the whole thing that became Live Aid and 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 all of that. Those are points of pride. Uh, and I think um, I think economic development and, and trade, as you referred to earlier, are really important things to be discussing in the context of Brexit and uh, what's going on in the EU. And even with these NAFTA talks, uh, where Trump is trying to unravel all of that, I think those types of things certainly could have filled the other 25 minutes after the indigenous stuff. I just, we got to go. I just, I just, I hate the idea that we take our one chance and our one opportunity and we have our leader go up there and all it is, is a slam of his own country. And that's how it was perceived. Go online and read papers and stories from around the world. That's how it's written. Canada's leader gets up there and dumps all over his own country. And that to me is, is not what we should be doing. You can take some responsibility, but come on. If we're going to leave and all the other people are talking about what everyone said and Canada comes across as the place that really screwed this thing up, that, anyway, we, we can talk about this more. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. In studio with Sue Prestige and with Jamie West, brightest panel in Hamilton Radio. I never thought I'd dream that you'd say Sue Prestige and Jamie West in the same sentence. Do you, you don't understand. This is a big deal. Oh, I, I I understand that it's a big deal. This is a big deal. Oh, to me. I get it. I no, get it. this was television. This woman is you a legendary broadcast. Red. Yeah. <laughs> Holy a legendary. Mackerel. At least she didn't say pioneer, which no. makes me feel really <laughs> old. I just, I just so can't whatever. believe it. The city of Hamilton. It came up this week. It was a reminder. The city of Hamilton has a bylaw in place. Was uh, passed in 2012 that limits the number of pets you may own in your house of any kind, mm-hmm. apparently, good. to four. Is that a good rule? Is that a good rule to say yes. that you can't have more than four pets? Yes. Well, for people who don't have pets, it's probably a really good <laughs> idea. The rule should be you can't have any. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, you know, you should I, only be able to have livestock. Did yeah. everybody... Okay. <laughs> Plant, plants only. Were you raised... Did you, was there an animal in your house when you were raised? Just me and my sister, the only oh, two okay, animals two in the animals. house. I had a dog. Scott, uh, you... We had various pets unsuccessfully. Okay, I get why they say you have to have a limit because we hear these horror stories of neighbors saying, you yeah, know, calling, yeah, you better come in and there's 30 cats running around. But where did they come up with the number four, which really interested <laughs> me because Toronto, after a little research, <laughs> no more than six animals. And that's a combination of either dogs, cats, or ferrets, or rabbits. No reptiles? 
No. No crocodiles, just, no they, they, boas. They made no mention of that. It said within that combination, there can only be three dogs. Hmm. Then Haldeman County, you can have three dogs or you can have six cats. Like everybody's Aye. got, well, like how do you come up with these numbers? I don't get it. I think there has to be some kind of limit. I agree because we've seen what happens when things go off the rails. And But <laughs> I'm, with, I'm with you that there can be a reasonable limit or some kind of rule put on if you are living in, living in an urban center. Mm-hmm. But Hamilton is a big place now that includes Flamborough and Dundas. And there are people who have tons of property. And there are people who live in a 200 square foot apartment. Those are not the same thing. The same rule to me seems stupid to apply the same rule. If you've got dogs who can run on the back 40 all day long, who cares if you have 40 of them? Now, if you have 40 in a 800 square foot condo downtown that's driving your neighbors nuts all the time, that's a different story. But this is to me, this is one of those things that when you pass a bylaw, in a city as varied as ours, it for some things it just makes it makes it so it becomes silly. I totally agree because when I was looking at other places, there was definitions of kennels. Like a kennel was not a pet. They were but they were housing more than four dogs. Mm. Right. And they it was broken down that way as well. I didn't see anything in the bylaw. I'm sure there must be. That, you know, as you say, a farm. Farm completely different. Yeah. What about an aquarium? Apartment. Can you oh, only have four fish? fish in an aquarium? <laughs> you better have one that's a piranha so it keeps that's the numbers right. down. Maybe they don't spend a lot, spend as much time on the actual drafting of the bylaws, the, that, that type of legislation, because they know that so much to do with bylaw is built on complaints based only anyway like i the P, that they don't go investigating they only yeah, respond they, they only respond to complaints yeah. so. i would hope that they don't send out bylaw officers to count fish in the aquarium of people's houses well remember i mean i hate to say this but the big story about yes this limit is being covered by all kinds of media and they're but they're pointing at the budgies as budgies you know like, and again, and but, rightfully so, well, they're disgusting. But just a second, you know what the fu- the funny point about <laughs> this is? Get back to what we said. If you are in a condo downtown God. in an apartment, people with, let those with, things out of with four hundred budgies all chirping simultaneously. That could drive your neighbor bananas. But if you're out in the country and you've got a room with four hundred budgies, who cares? If you have eagles in there and they're squawking, <laughs> who cares? Well, I might take objection to the eagle. But... The turkey vultures. <laughs> oh what, my what do they do? They're running all over the place now. Yeah, they're the... just ugly. Yeah. Oh, they're scary. They're climbing all over everything. I, you know, uh, this to me uh, again. I, I get that maybe there's a cause for some of the. I want to know why there's... we're so obsessed with. A- animals, anyway. I, I keep. Well, I just want to know why we're so obsessed with bylaws. We we need to. I would love for our city council one time, one city council run on a platform of we are going to spend our entire four year term weeding out the stupid bylaws that are in place that we don't need, and let's reduce the number of laws on the book rather than growing them every year. But here is the problem with bylaws. The reason the bylaws are brought in, and it's usually because you have a very few number of people who break it and do something really, really stupid, and then you say, We need a bylaw. We've got, we need a bylaw. <laughs> it, it's true. Think it about is, it. Yeah. You know that... I'm on a, heading up a condo yeah. board right now, and I'm going through that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I get it. You just hope and pray that with all the crazy bylaws that are on the book, you don't buy your next house next to that one nosy, annoying neighbor that decides that she or he has to be the one to call the city on every possible infraction of, you know, the road hockey, the animals, the this, basketball the shoveling net. snow, the basketball. 
we got to go to break. But if you are one of those people, you know every bylaw in the book because they've probably been to your house to check on every single one of them. And it's all, I, mean, I haven't had that, thankfully, but man, if I was that person next to that neighbor, there'd I'm, be road hockey balls being fired at that house all time of the day. If I'm going to get a I'm ticket, calling. I'm going out in style. I'm calling about your basketball man. <laughs> I do have one. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. As I said, Sue Prestige, f- broadcaster, legend, extraordinaire, instructor, She's Embarrassed. Here. She's here. And Jamie West is here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you very Jamie much. <laughs> also broadcaster extraordinaire, executive for producer of this reason. show. Extraordinaire is different. <laughs> Extraordinarily bad. Hardly. Uh, you're Hardly. But speaking of bad, it's a nice segue. Thank you for picking that word. Because uh, last night... There is. Uh, there was, speaking of football as well, there was a Thursday night NFL football game last night in San Francisco. The attendance at said game was beyond miserable. There was basically two-thirds of the San Francisco 49er stadium was empty. NFL ratings are going down very quickly. And I have to wonder, considering that college football games are still drawing full houses and still getting great ratings. Last week in Los Angeles, the USC uh, Southern California versus Texas game drew a larger audience for a college game than the Rams home game, a Los Angeles Rams, and the Chargers in Los Angeles home game drew combined. So there is still obviously an appetite for football as a sport. But the fact that the NFL numbers are tanking in a lot of ways. I have to believe, I can't help but believe that this may have something to do with politics. That with the NFL players taking a knee during the national anthem, being more politically positioned, raising their arms in the black power salute, whatever it is, seems to me that it, maybe it's only a coincidence, Sue, but you've done years in sports. I, I, I look at this, there's something going on, and I don't know if that's the only thing, but I have to believe that for some people, they're just saying, you know what, I watch football as an escape from real life. And when you decide you're going to turn your football game into more of what I'm trying not to watch, I'll find something else to do. I think if you listen to the NFL, and the NFL will say, if you look at our television ratings last fall... They were abysmal up to the U.S. election. After that, they skyrocket again. Was mm. everybody watching CNN or politics or whatever? <laughs> this one, I have a hard time believing, but the NFL is saying everybody was watching CNN because we were talking about storms and Texas and, you know, all of that. It's bound to improve once hurricane season is <laughs> over, over. <laughs> which is very sad. But I think the real reason is that a lot of NFL owners are wallowing in money. They have there's no incentive to make the the game any more interesting, whatever. They don't care. They're already getting money from the league because of the television deals, which, you know, I mean if they continue to plummet, they might not be as rich next season, but they've got all kinds of side deals going. So I think in part and parcel maybe because the owners don't really care and the public's catching on. 
college football in the States has always been this, you know, the young Turks getting out there and, you know, the parents and the alumni and it's an event and that kind it's of thing. It's a community. Yeah, and it doesn't exist. I don't think in the NFL as much. Sure, you got tailgate But it always has before, of- though. The NFL stadiums have always been full, at least as long as I can remember, they've always been full. But over the years, the ownership of NFL teams has changed, that you have these, you know, You don't have to sell the tickets. You don't have to sell the tickets. It's kind of like Maple Leafs, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you look at the numbers there. Got a big enough TV deal. Once again, it's TV deal and they're getting money from it, so why make it any more interesting? Wouldn't it be great if you went to a, or people watched uh, an NFL game because they wanted to see the same excitement that you see in an NBA game mm. where they seem to really care. You know? So just to be clear, it's a, a, it's not a lack of interest in football. It's a lack of interest in paying for a ticket and going and sitting in the stadium and watching the football and game. On and on TV. And on the TV. The ratings the are, down. are down. Okay, for the full broadcast. Is what you're saying. Because here's what I'm getting at. I had, and I'm the furthest thing from an expert on sports or sports marketing or sports history, but I did hear something interesting last year in relation to some sort of a discussion about the CFL, actually. Uh, and it was a, it was around a study of how younger people are absorbing sports events. And the study was pointing to the fact that young people... We're, we're happy to s- simply look at sports highlights packages. They weren't willing to sit through a three-hour baseball game or football game and watch and anticipate and s- see how it was going to turn out. They wanted the punchline first, and then they just wanted to see the, the highlights so that they could get on with checking their likes on Facebook and um, doing their, what do you call it, the thing where you swish back and forth to find your next date that <laughs> night. Yeah, that, yeah. What is <laughs> that thing called? But, I forget. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, there is there is on the Blue Jays channel, on Rogers, on Sportsnet, they have Jays in 30. So they have, they've whittled okay, the game down to 30 okay, minutes. Okay, so, so you to can, my point. Yeah. You can watch it, and it takes out everything except the pitch that leads to a play. So it's either strike three or the pitch that leads to a ball and play. Attention or a home span. Run. Right. Attention span. It is attention span, and I'll change it from the NFL for a moment, but look at the, the uh, sport of golf. Golf's looking at itself going, you look, these these guys will not spend the amount of time it takes to play 18 mm-hmm. holes of golf. They've got better stuff to do. I don't want to do that. That's why they're considering changing up the whole, you know, idea of golf, you know, short, making courses shorter, fewer holes, it, you know, anything that will t- attract and get money into the golf courses because they're suffering badly. But how could this happen so quickly? Because I hear what you're saying. And I think over time, you we adjust, we have different patterns. But the fact is, when you look at a stadium in the NFL, I hadn't, until this year, I've just never, maybe in Jacksonville occasionally, because they've been so bad for so long, or other places. But San Francisco is an established NFL market. Bill Walsh and the 49ers and Joe Montana and all these, Jim, uh, you know, Jerry Rice and all these guys. Like, this is a big-time NFL city, and it's empty. And I'm thinking, this this happened seemingly overnight, and i got to go back to my point that I think... Is it coincidence that in San Francisco, where Colin Kaepernick began this whole kneeling for the national anthem thing? Now, San Francisco is a very liberal city, I understand. 
but I'm just wondering if it's not if there's not a connection there with people saying I don't want to mix politics and entertainment. Politics and sports. I don't think that's the case. The ratings for the Emmys this year no. were way off. Yeah, were way off, and that whole show was a political show, and people are but saying, they're boring. I don't want, yeah, but well, award shows are totally boring anyway. They're, they're but they always people, do well. They always do well. Sean Spicer pushing out his podium was, you know, boring. I thought it was great. <laughs> Melissa McCarthy, it was interesting. Okay, I didn't see that. But the fact is, the <laughs> ratings were way down, and I'm looking at all these things that where the ratings are down, and they're becoming more political, and I'm thinking, are they turning to politics to save it, and it's I think backfiring? It's choice. I think it's choice, uh, Sue and Scott. I think it's I, it, again, I'm pointing to technology. I, I think ever since the advent of the 50-plus flat screen, everything changed. Um, somebody who you know, got his first 50-inch screen a few years ago, I, the first thing I said was, why would I ever go back to, at the time, Iverwind Stadium and watch a Tiger Cats game? They're not blacked out anymore. I can sit in the comfort of my living room with Listen this beautiful high-definition screen. I, you know, I don't have to pay 11 bucks for a beer. This is wonderful. It, it changed everything. It changed the whole experience of watching TV. And, and, and to your point about the, the award show, the Emmy Award show, it's choice. There's so much, much. choice of great television to watch now that it doesn't... You know, event television used to be uh, around big movies, big sports. Uh, now it isn't. Um, <coughs> people will sit and binge watch an entire series of uh, uh, Downton Abbey or... Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, or, or yeah. whatever. But you know? let me let me let me take issue with that to some degree, is. though. I, and I think there's I think there is definitely something there. I think you are definitely Technology. correct about the fact that we have the opportunity now. We don't have to. I, I heard the word that it was not. We don't have to watch linear TV anymore. Right. The, the, but the Blue Jays yesterday night passed three million people in attendance. Their TV ratings, even though they are not very good this year, are still incredibly high. And the one thing. To, I'm going to argue this because the Blue Jays that I've seen have not injected any kind of political stuff. The players don't do anything that would upset groups of the fans or frustrate people based on their political stances. I just I keep going back. You're, all those things you've said, I think, that you're talking about, choices and attention span and NFL owners not having to sell tickets, those all factor in. But I just can't help believing that if... That this is an escape. Sports has always been an escape, and when it ceases to be an escape, it ceases to lose some of its or starts to lose some of its magic and some of what you why you watched it in the first place. I don't want to spend this is three hours of me getting away from what I have to deal with all day long. And when now you inject that into this, so it's just another CNN press conference, another CNN panel, uh, I'll find something else. I'll go and binge watch then because they're not going to talk politics, whether I agree or disagree. They're not going to talk politics. I think we've been politics out in every facet of our life and we want somewhere to go that we don't have to have that. I would love to agree with you, but I just don't see politics as playing as big a role as you think in terms of these television ratings dropping. I'm more likely to agree with Jamie on the fact that look at all the other things I could be doing with my time and <clears throat> excuse me I know that at the end 
after I've watched this show that's got a cliffhanger at the end, I can go back and go, you know, just swipe and yep. see all the highlights, right? Yep. No, you're 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 hundred percent. Again, all those things, I agree with all those points. They're all things that are contributing to this. There's one other point to this that I find really interesting: the fact that Colin Kaepernick is sort of the godfather of this whole political movement in the NFL. The guy, the quarterback who was with San Francisco, took the knee and. It's interesting to me that no team has signed him. And you know in the NFL, the money that is involved, they have done market studies, market research. Hey, would it be a good idea for us to sign? Don't, don't tell me you haven't researched whether Colin Kaepernick would make you money if you signed him. Can we get him up here? Has he beaten any yeah. women? If he's beaten women, he's not allowed to come up here. But if he's if he, if he he's clean, other than taking a knee on the national anthem, then he can come to Canada, can he? The, well, yes. That's, but the fact that he hasn't been signed by anybody. Which just proves that the NFL says you are going to be punished. Well, you know yes. what you did? You infused a politics into a sport. If you're right... You infuse politics into a sport that people believe that shouldn't be part of it. And we're going to make you pay, boy. But they <laughs> but they will sign anybody that will make them money. They signed Michael Vick after his dogfighting thing because good point. they said he will help us make some money and make us win. They signed... Do you remember um, a few years ago, there was a guy, I can't remember his first name, his last name was Collins, and he was the first NBA player to come out as, yes. as a gay yeah. player. By the time he announced that... His career was a say he was the 34 35 he was playing 2 minutes a game he was an you know in the he was sitting on the bench he was on the bench yeah. he was a nobody as far as an impact player but there was a team New Jersey I believe it was that looked at him and said well we can bring him in and you know what whether they'll say it or not the fact that his shirt became the number 1 selling shirt for a time in the NBA said I'm positive that they looked and said we should bring him in a because we think we should, but also, you know, this guy's not going to hurt us financially. Sell some tickets. It's not going to hurt us. It may not be the only reason they brought him in, but if they had done research that said, this guy will destroy our whole brand for they whatever reason, they would never have said it was because he had come out as gay. It would have, they would have found some other reason, but they just wouldn't have done it. Yeah. This is, there's always a bottom line to these things. Of course. There's always Sports. a bottom line to these things. Can, can I say one thing? I know, I know we're not talking about the tiger. Tiger Cats, but I promised myself that if I got in front of a microphone, I would at least say something about all that. That they are the dumbest, dumbest organization perhaps ever in professional sports, led by, in my opinion, one of the dumbest leaders ever to grace the CFL or disgrace the CFL. And with that. Well, wait a minute. Okay, I just no, want to no. say, I think. To a certain extent, I agree with you. I just think if they had run that idea past even two women in a communications department, I don't even know if they have two women in the communications department, you would have thought somebody with half a brain would have gone, I don't think that's a good idea, and here's why. Yes, you're right. You shouldn't have to. Should it, 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 Run it by two men. Run yeah. it by 10 men. Run it by 10 men and 10 women. Run it by, it doesn't matter. That was, I, I know, we're not opening that no, can no, of I just promised myself that, cause I, <laughs> that I would chance. say that if I ever got in front of a microphone again. Bob Young, tired of the uh, G.O. Shucks routine. Total nonsense. This guy's totally out of touch with what's going on with his team. Um, Scott Mitchell, just get out. Just get out now. Get out now. You're now at the point where you're ruining the football team. Get out. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. I don't know where we're going to go on this one. Uh, story out of Durham in Oshawa this week. 
An 11-year-old boy went to his elementary school, and during recess, something happened. They're not really sure. The kids were playing around, were messing around, and the kid ended up breaking both of his wrists. Mm-hmm. He fell. He did something. There's a suggestion maybe that another kid picked, lifted him in the air and dropped him or whatever else. Well, the family is now apparently quite upset that they, there wasn't proper supervision. The teachers weren't watching this carefully enough. The school should have done a better job of protecting their kid. There's all kinds of questions. Uh, is this the would this be assuming assuming and I'm going by the story here that there were teachers outside. They didn't just abandon the children. Assuming there are teachers outside and it was recess. Is it the school's responsibility to be making sure no kid ever gets hurt by any kind of goofing around or is this, you know what? This is sad. It's unfortunate this kid broke both of his wrists, but you know what? It's part of growing up, to be very honest. It, it happens. It is a playground. Play is the operative word there. Which means? I got, well, it means You could that get hurt. You can get hurt. I mean, I've seen playgrounds in schools where they've taken away, you know, anything that a kid can climb on. Or because throw. It's not safe. Right. A football. Yeah, yeah you can't baseball. do that. Yeah. I just think it's, and, you know, the part about the litigious, that's what's killing you know, this kind of scenario where kids can go out and play at recess. Because I thought you were going to bring up the one that happened in July in Toronto where uh, the kid broke his arm, I think, and the kids were pushing each other, right? This family waits two years, two years, and they are suing the Toronto Catholic School Board and they've named the other the other two kids in this lawsuit for $600,000. And you know what that means now for that school? Because the school and the school board have now been sued and they can't afford because of their insurance and yeah, everything they else. they settle out for 20 Gs and But that's not only that, it. you will ne- now, kids can't play. They've got to have a standing recess. Yeah. So you've got to now change the rules because if kids get hurt, we're going to be sued. So we have to preclude the possibility that anybody could ever get hurt. I'm just telling you, that's yeah, why we that's have bylaws, right? right? Yeah, yeah, One yeah. idiot. It's but gone crazy. What? What? I didn't like the response, but I get what he was saying. Um, I believe it was the head of the school board said, well, you know what? Parents should perhaps uh, check their, their insurance on their home and, you know, maybe have, you know, a liability clause that applies to their children as well. I'm going, oh, my gosh. Can you imagine what if that's the case now? About? That you send your kid to school they goof around with someone else and the kid falls, whether intentionally or not, they're kids, and you end up being served with a million-dollar lawsuit because of something your six-year-old did. It's totally out of control. People also have to stop being afraid of, of lawsuits and, and litigation and, and, and that kind of thing, too. I can tell you, uh, I'm not a lawyer, um, but I, I've had some experience in the last few years with the legal system and i can tell you not criminal uh, no <laughs> no thanks for clearing <laughs> that up but i can tell you that um there's more common sense that uh actually prevails uh, among uh lawyers and judges and assessors uh, out there than than we would want to believe a lot of the time the the other thing about Back to the, the, the main topic, which is the kid falls and gets pushed or whatever and breaks his, his wrists. You know, you know what? If kids played more, if, if parents would stop helicoptering constantly and let kids climb on the monkey bars and let them fall and get skinned knees and skinned elbows and bruises and so on and so forth, um, they develop 
uh, their motor skills more. They're they, out of practice. They, exactly. They would develop uh, their ability to balance. They would develop their ability uh, to uh, uh, to not fall in a way that they became injured. That that's what happens with physical activity. You you develop. We have we don't allow them to do that. No hand eye coordination is allowed to develop because everybody's supposed to be bubble wrapped all the time. Uh, Dr. Danielle and I just taped a segment this week that's going to be on 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 the show on uh, tomorrow morning at ten about this very topic. And she's a medical practitioner saying, "For heaven's sakes, parents, let your kids go out and play and let them get knocked around a, a little bit. That's part of growing up, you part of development." You mentioned about the technology. Remember, yeah. we we're talking about yeah, technology. Yeah. That's another issue. You're right. They should be able to go out. And I hope. They're not allowing cell phones out on the playground. I really hope not. But in their off time, what are they doing? Well, a lot of them screens. are being allowed to play games, video games inside. It's not that physical activity that you're right. It is teaching them, you know, balance, how to use their body, how to move out of the way. If they're, you know, anyway, go on and on. It, I just never thought about it when my kids were in school. No, but it's the, just so predictable now that if someone gets hurt on a school ground, there will be a subsequent lawsuit or threat of a lawsuit or complaint that someone did something wrong. That's because wrong. everybody's got the, the point of view that their kid, frankly, is special. Their kid's the only kid that matters in the entire school. The, the whole school system is there for their child and nothing else. It, it's, it's part of the selfish society that we've talked about in many other ways on the show uh, before helicopter parents drive me nuts these early 30 something parents now I'll grant you you know maybe I'm sounding a little crusty but I've, I've raised one to 23 I've got an 11 year old and a seven year old and I've got stepchildren that range from 10 to five so I think I, I can speak a little bit about this you've covered several generations I have <laughs> and and I'm, I'm just gonna say that I'm really upset and appalled by these 30 something parents who are going to baby their kids to adulthood and then in adulthood they'll never leave home because they won't have they won't have any social skills and they won't have any life skills and they won't have uh, gotten a few knocks on the playground exactly. and a few skin knees the other thing that a skin knee teaches you and I know you know this sue is is it, it teaches you how to do it better next time so that you don't fall and get the skin knee it's well, all, also but having to fail Yes, right. you know, in the bigger picture, you guys can see this right here. Yes, he's got I, a I bump. Have a, on I have his a big uh, bump and a stitches scar on my head because when I was in high mm. school, we were practicing. We had a gravel parking lot at our high school, and they had a high high jump pit there. I was practicing, and I stepped on a bunch of gravel as I planted my foot, and instead of going over the bar, I slipped and whacked my head, and busted it open like a baked potato. When I got home, my mom and dad didn't say, oh, who was the teacher on duty so we can <laughs> yeah. file a lawsuit? They said, right. well, that was stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that <laughs> was the same in my generation. Yeah. Same thing. If you Look, if there, were, if there is a situation where you've got a bunch of students who are doing something very rowdy and all the teachers have decided to abandon the backyard and it turns into a Lord of the Flies situation and someone gets hurt. That doesn't happen. I could say, okay, maybe, but w what school now has a rec has a, a recess where there's not teachers outside? I've never and heard of one. How much more? How much more can we put on the teachers in terms of uh, the social development of our children? How much more parenting can we ask them to do? Well, these on a people, daily basis, Jamie, these Honestly. people are suggesting that the teachers were not paying sufficient attention. Uh, so you should bold. now have teachers watching every kid bold. the whole time. Yeah. 
it's it's, it's pay, outrageous. Paying your taxes to have that many more teachers. It's outrageous. Hired. I'd be happy if teachers would ju- just teach, and I'd be happy if they pressure the ministry to 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 put forward a curriculum that they know will work for students instead of in reverse. I know I'm getting on to another topic, but for crying out loud, parents, take responsibility for being parents and stop asking everybody else to parent your kid and develop your kid. It's your job. It's the end of my rant. There no, you go. It's, it's a good point. I, 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 I see stories like this. You I get hear, hot on this No, stuff. no, but I, I, no, I, that's why I brought it up today because I knew you would. <laughs> um, but I, I see stories like this. We all do pop up every now and then. And, and all I can think is, okay, I know there's got to be a lot of others where some kid gets hurt in the schoolyard and the parents don't take it to court don't take it to the media don't they, they, they want to take each other to court i mean they, no but i know there are parents out there what i'm saying is i know that not every schoolyard skin knee or broken bone or chipped tooth or whatever leads to a story like this but we do hear about these things sufficiently enough in numbers that you go it's not like this is the only parent or only family doing this. This is a, there, I know of a school in Hamilton, at least I was told of this school in Hamilton a number of years ago, every night after school on the schoolyard, they took down the rims off the basket so that after school hours, kids from the kids neighborhood couldn't, play. couldn't come and play because if someone was playing there and there was no supervision and they broke a leg. Oh, they're starting oh, to fence football fields in. That's Mag- right. McNabb's football field is, is fenced in. I, I don't know if Westdale across the street here has a beautiful new field and goalpost. I don't know if that's fenced in, but that's happening. Yeah, it's sad. It's about the insurance. Yeah, it is. Well, it's it about is. the insurance, and I, I hate to think, and I don't know in this particular case, let's use a different example because I don't know if it's this particular case, but I bet I'm also thinking there are a few parents who when something happens to their kids, they suddenly think, hey, we can get that mortgage paid off yeah, by well, this. Well, hopefully the judges that... My that's... kid is my meal ticket for getting the mortgage paid off. And I don't, I'm not saying it in this particular case, but, you know, there's got to be a few of these. Hopefully Absolutely. more case conference judges will will look at things and say, nah, we're not moving this forward. We're throwing it out. We're throwing it out. We're throwing it out. That That's where the buck would stop. And then people would stop. People would start telling each other, hey, we tried to raise this, but every time we go to court, they just throw it out and call us fools. And that, also, would, that would help. The insurance part of it, once again, it's this faceless thing. You're you're going after insurance. It's not like you're hurting anybody. Right. It's a victimless you're, crime. It's a victimless yeah. crime. It's not crime. You're it's getting, a victimless yeah. thing. Do you know what I mean? You're getting money from an insurance company and not yeah. the individual. It's yeah. just it's sad. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, an announcement today that... Um, we talked about this on the show several months ago. I can't remember how long ago it was now. That the city had whittled down or accepted. I don't know if they whittled down or if they had only received six design concepts for the Pier Eight Park that's going to be built. It's going to be a multi-thousand dollar, multi-thousand part me unit development down on the waterfront. And there was one that you'll recall. I think Will, were you in that night that we were talking about this? Yes, I was, and I was thinking about it yesterday, actually. And so there were there were six. There were some that were very nice. One of them, Will and I back then had agreed, looked like a bunch of uh, Swiss cheese chunks piled on top of each other. <laughs> Thankfully, that one didn't win, nor did today the um, the one that I could only think looks like something out of the Jetsons, which would have just been crazy. I, is it? Is it wrong? Ruh-roh. I know. Is it wrong? I'm, I'm getting a little bit. It's Friday night. Is it wrong that when they announced this today 
And you looked at it and you said, that's actually really visually appealing. And if they can build it like that, that's going to be... Is it wrong to be shocked that the city chose the proper You were shocked. One? You were shocked with that. <laughs> I was kind of just expecting that it was going to be an ugly a one. bad decision. And it's not. Yeah. It's a good decision, it looks like. And I thought it was really interesting that the architects commented on the fact that they didn't want it to look like Pier 4 or Bayfront Park. Something different, it, But unique. it had to be something that, while it wasn't going to be like that, it had to be something that was going to speak to the heritage of Hamilton and the harbor. And I think they nailed it. So well, they put some rusty metal down there. That's yeah. good. <laughs> You know, it's it's the steel connection to Hamilton and stuff. But again, I just, there was a part of me, and maybe I've just been, this has been beaten into me because we hear, oh, you know, city council always does the wrong thing. And I don't believe that. You know, there's, they have their moments. But I've just almost come to expect that when a decision, a massive decision like this, because when you're building this, this is going to be a focal point of the city going Absolutely. forward. I just cynically, skeptically kind of expect, Jamie, that it's, oh, I'm going to hate it. I'm going to be so upset. I'm, I'm not going to agree. And then they do this and you go, well I'm done. I'm sorry. Was you there any kind of input by the public? I know that they had, they a, had a panel. They had a panel and they had a public meeting where they were going, you know, the showing the various ones. But I thought you could also vote online. Oh, maybe. But maybe they just wanted Nobody feedback. Does, I don't think they'll... It you was know. yeah. It was not like American Idol where your vote actually and nobody goes for to anything. those meetings anyway, right? I mean that that's the thing. We're totally disengaged. So that that fact added in, um, I guess it's even more miraculous that they got it right. That they chose the right uh, way to go here. I I hate that I feel that way, but again, I was surprised. How long I, is this thing going to take to get oh, built? I I, uh, the okay, so couple of years. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the city's waterfront development team will work with the contractor construction over the coming months to develop a detailed design to implement the proposal with construction expected to start in the spring of 2018. So next right spring. Away. That's yeah. fast. Mm -hmm. So That's they're fast. putting it up before the actual units go in. Like so this before is, no, the it's residents all, it's, it's going one to go thing. around it. Really? Oh, it's all one big thing. Wow. I, I Now, my, here's my cynical part again. Spring of 2018. Here's saying that will be 2019 before this actually happens. Again, maybe it's just me being cynical and skeptical and saying well, nothing Well, I wouldn't say that's fast. just a problem in Hamilton. No, I no, think no, that can no, happen no, that other can places as well. So just add a year on to whatever they say. You know what? They'll clip this thing along. They'll 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 get to they'll stick to those timelines. They'll make it happen because they want they the politicians around the table want want to look good. And they'll all be wanting to be there to cut the ribbon, and they'll all be patting each other on the back. So this will you become... you got to do it before the next election, this will right. be, Yeah, this will become a big pet project for anyone and everyone on that council table. They'll they'll want this okay, thing to Okay, fine, happen. but so you can have the shovel in the ground before council is done, but then it'll sit as just a pile of dirt for the next two years well, while no, they figure it out. Well, no, I think maybe out. Jamie's right, because you also have... Have they actually chosen a developer? Chosen a developer who's going to put this up? I didn't. But think that, they no, had. that's what. No, that's what this. Um, but isn't this separate? Like, I know where it's going to be, but isn't this separate from? Well, it's so you're right. It's a design team that designed this thing. Now they've got to find the people who are actually, I guess, as I understand it, going to build it. They'll they'll be falling all over each other to, oh, you to think? get this job. Yeah. yeah. It's but uh, I think the design is great. I think they've really done. You know, they were smart in incorporating what looked like the hulls of ships. Like, you know, when you were saying about the Jetsons, mm -hmm. I get that. But this, when I saw the way those were laid out, I said it speaks to Hamilton. It speaks to the harbor. Yeah, they're made out of steel, but it speaks to the harbor area that it's in. So I thought it was 
I thought it was quite tastefully. I done. think those holes were actually pulled up from the bottom. It's of the the scourge of the Hamilton <laughs> that have uh, that are going to be built there. Yeah. Right? Is this an area? Can can we? The city is. I mean, the city of Hamilton is an old city. Yes. Can it is. we actually do something like this that changes the perception of the city? Because I mean, I, I said Cleveland this is, did it. That's true. It's true. That's true. I was going to say, can we actually change the view? Kind of what I'm saying is that we make a new focal point to the city that, because you know what, when we have games, Ticat games on TV or whatever, when Hamilton is shown, I know we show two things. We show the steel mills and sometimes we show the York Street Bridge and into you know the, uh, the, the high level bridge. Oh, the, the high, well, the where, high where there could the have been a Burlington. stadium nearby. Oh yeah, that's what. But we'll show Coots Paradise and we'll show that sometimes. Do you think that we can build something that would change and this will be the new face of Hamilton? No, because you're still going to see, if they take those shots from where they usually take those shots, you're still going to see the um, the companies belching smoke, whatever. It's too far away, but I, I agree with you. Cleveland's a perfect example. And didn't Pittsburgh do it too? Pittsburgh yeah. did an exceptional yeah. job at it. And so, Cleveland... Cleveland was I, it, I always come back to the fact that Cleveland is the only city I think in the world that ever had their river catch on fire <laughs> so actually, polluted and now Cleveland is a beautiful downtown and a beautiful city with all the stuff and now they have a there. festival called Fire on the River every year <laughs> do they really? no <laughs> oh, I thought it was a fireworks thing or something <laughs> was that me sucked if they in did too. they should they should why not hey no, play to that I'm happy about this don't get like I, I'm really happy about it it's another it's it's another section of waterfront that's going to be redeveloped and turned into a people place, and that's wonderful. And I can't wait until all of those steel mills are torn down and it, we're all finished with, with and industrial. And Amazon completely. is there with its 50,000 well, new jobs. It's, I'll be the happiest guy in the world when all of that stuff disappears and, and it's all cleaned up and it's nothing but green and people and, and, and that's wonderful. I think that the new Hamilton will have arrived by then. Obviously, we're healthcare and education now, but get rid of those steel mills. Tax dollars, tax dollars. Yeah, that's all well, I'm thinking. Amazon. Aerotropolis. Well, yeah. Uh, build, build it up there. Man, we're going all over the keep place. Keep dreaming, we boys. Just keep dreaming. I like <laughs> but it. But I, 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 I say, I just, I, I love the fact, I felt so good today. I've got to be honest, I felt so good when the decision looked like a good one. As opposed to, and, and you know, we all have different tastes, right? So someone else might think this is a horrible one. But I think by and large, most of the people I've talked to have said, you know what, even if that wasn't number one on my list, it's tasteful. It looks good. It looks like it's Hamilton. It looks like it fits. It doesn't look stupid, and I just I felt almost relieved today. So it was it's a good feeling. Chalk one up for council. Chalk one up for hey, for council and this committee. You know what? We dump on them when they make a mistake. Gotta give them applause when they do it right. The Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred AM nine hundred CHML.